0: They drafted the Declaration of of Independence, and they passed it through Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776, defining themselves before it had even happened. They said, we're going to go ahead and nail it down. We're independent, and we've got a declaration to prove it. But then five years of the War for Independence, Revolutionary War, whatever you want to describe it as, that was five years. A lot happened in five years, didn't it? A lot of sacrifice happened. A lot of bloodshed. A lot of dads and grandpas and sons and uncles and brothers gave their lives to purchase that freedom. Amen? And we get a chance on July 4th to reflect on that. Think about it. Be grateful for it. But here's what I came to tell the church people this morning. Are we church people? And by the way, I, you'll probably not find a more patriotic pastor than the one you're looking at this morning, okay? I just, I bleed red, white, and blue. But this morning, we've come with a message for the church people, and that is this, what do you think the ideals were? What are those ideals that they fought for? What are those ideals that they laid down their life for? Freedom? Liberty? Just, well, no taxation without representation was the big thing. These ideals, right? And when we say words like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those words that open the document, the Declaration of Independence, it kind of rings the bells of patriotism in our hearts, doesn't it? Those ideals of freedom, it it stirs up, um, it, it unfurls the flags of pride in our chest when we hear words like that. But what does it mean in the church What are those ideals in the church that should stir up the same kind of emotion? See, what I came to tell us this morning is that freedom to America on July 4th is what Paul describes here as unity to the church. You ought to defend it. You ought to give your life for it. You ought to preserve it and protect it. Unity is your calling. Just like freedom to America on July 4th, we all puff our chest out in pride for the church, that word, that ideal, that principle that we hold dear in our house is unity. In this body, it's unity. Unity is our calling. It should embolden the same passion. The same emotions should well up in our saved hearts. Paul says in chapter 4, Unity is our calling within the church. It's worth our sacrifice to protect. So let's read about it. Our text this morning, Dylan finished out chapter three. So we begin chapter four. We're going to stand together and we're going to read verses one through 16 of Ephesians chapter four. You follow along. I'll read it from my Bible. You can follow along on your Bible or read it up on the screen here. It says by the mouth of Paul, he says, I therefore prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the what unity. That's the calling eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Those verses fire me up. And father of all who is over all and through all in all, but grace, verse seven, this is key, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, now things get a little dicey here. We're going to come back and explain it in a little bit. When he ascended on high... He led a host of captives. Who are those captives? The Old Testament saints. And he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Don't worry. We're coming back to explain that. Stay with me, everybody. I promise it'll be worth it. Verse 11, and he gave here are the gifts, the gifts that he came and ascended with from the lower parts of the earth. These are the gifts that he's got to hand out. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ until we all maintain the unity. That's our calling of the faith We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, all 2,000 body parts, when you count the organs and the bones and all the stuff you got in you, 2,000. Every part, imagine that. Your body is here today, living and breathing. 2,000 body parts are all functioning together to keep you alive. I don't know where that came from. So verse 16, from, the whole, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's our working thesis today. It's going to be on the screen. This is what we want to talk about. Defending unity is a fight. But we've been given gifts to help each other win, and the payoff is worth it. Let me say that again. Defending unity is a fight. It's our calling. And we're going to see that fight laid out from Paul in verses 1 through 6. But we've been given gifts to help each other win, verses 7 through 11. And the payoff is is worth it. 12 through 16. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to understand and be encouraged and edified by your word. This morning, I want to step out of who I am, stepping out of gym and all that that means and my human weaknesses and abilities. And I step into your calling. I want to step into the person that you've called me to be and help explain your word. God, teach us how to be a unified body. Teach us about our calling this morning. Help it matter. Help us to be affected by it and changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So defending unity is a fight, but the passage goes on to say, we've been given gifts to help each other win and the payoff is worth it. So to get started, point number one, if you're taking notes, the calling of unity takes guts really does. So let's jump into our passage. Remember that this is, Paul is transitioning here. The first three chapters talk about belief of all that God has done in us that Dylan greatly explained last week. And now the last three chapters, four, five, and six explain behavior. So we're moving from belief to behavior. All that God has done for us, how should it make us live? How should it challenge us to walk? And that's how Paul opens up chapter four. He says, walk in a manner worthy. And remember these chapter titles, they're added. So when Paul says, walk in a manner worthy, he's referring to the verse that he had just written in chapter three. So let's go back and read it. He says in verse 20 and 21, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the what? power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, have some faith. I'm in prison and I'm telling you to walk worthy. That must mean you can walk worthy too because I'm imprisoned here and I'm still walking boldly. I'm still walking without intimidation catches. I'm still walking without fear like we just sang about, no longer slaves to fear. And he's encouraging this church at Ephesus. He's saying, move from belief to behavior. If you're going to believe that God can do immeasurably more and abundantly more, then you've got to walk in a manner worthy of that. We got to walk out immeasurably more. We better walk out in a manner abundantly more. Paul's saying, have some faith. We got to walk with confidence. We got to walk with boldness. We're on the winning side here. And we've got a God who is capable of immeasurable power. That's how we get to walk. Now, as a caveat, he says, now, how do we do that and still be humble? In other words, how do we walk in this manner and not come across prideful? How do we walk in this bold manner and not come across egotistical? How do we walk in this manner of not intimidated, no fear, and come across non-judgmental?" Because that's important, right? We can have all the confidence and boldness in the world, but if we're coming across as abrasive, then that behavior does not reflect the belief. So he says, how are we going to walk? We're going to walk with humility. In verse 2, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain unity. So that gives us perspective. There's your perspective for the unity. Walk in a manner worthy, Paul says, I want you to have all the faith and boldness in the world, but do it with humility. Do it with eagerness to prefer one another. You know, the English word for that is deference. When you defer to one another, you defer to someone else. You regard their feelings above your own. So how does this calling take guts? Let's explain it really quick. I'm going to put it in my words. We read Paul's words what I've come to say is that unity, yes, the calling does take guts. The second slide here is going to show us exactly what unity takes. It takes intentionality. In other words, it's hard work. It take, is, is, unity requires purposefulness. It's not going to happen naturally. Number two, unity takes communication, both sharing and listening. If we're going to protect, if we're going to defend the unity in this local body of believers, then we've got to be able to share and we've got to be able to listen. In other words, I'm going to be with you in the highs and the lows, right? you having victory, you're celebrating. I want to hear about that. If you've got lows, I want to hear about that. If you've got offenses, we need to listen. If there's feedback to be received, we got to do that with humility. That means if I've got a blind spot in my life and Austin comes to me with feedback, he's like, Pastor Jim, I don't think you realize how you're coming off. You need to look at this area of your life. You just need to evaluate. I don't think you realize he's, he's defending the unity in the body by bringing that to me. He's sharing. Now I've got to listen. I've got to take that feedback. I've got to grow from it. If Austin withholds that feedback, he's destroying the unity in the body. If I don't receive that feedback, I'm destroying the unity in the body. Now, do you know why it takes guts? Unity takes guts because ultimately last one, it requires sacrifice i gotta die to self i if in order to protect this unity i've got to die to myself every day that's how we're going to keep this body together it doesn't come naturally look at all the denominations look at all the segregations in our churches you think unity comes naturally it doesn't that's why there's so many right here in Irmo. There's a, it feels like there's a thousand churches just in Irmo alone. Why? Because unity is natural. Division is natural. We're human. We're fleshly broken human. So if we want to protect the unity, it takes guts, intentionality, communication, sacrifice. Do you have the guts? Do you have what it takes? And why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? Because unity is that trump card. If you remember back from chapter three, unity is that trump card whereby God shows the powers that be all across the world. See my church? See how I can bring everything together through Christ? You, Satan, you thought you won on the cross. You thought you had effectively divided men from God forever. But do you see what I did with the church? Do you see how they're unified? Do you see how they're behaving because of what they believe? That unity is the trump card that God shows the world's. Unity is worth defending. It takes guts though. And now we have the description of unity in verses four through six. There's one body. In other words, listen, this is about the capital C church. This is, this gives a kingdom context to the unity. In other words, it's not about, it's not just about unity within decided church. It's not just about making sure we're all on the same page with our core values and our vision statement. No, no, no. This is talking about unity of the entire kingdom. This is talking about whether I walk into any church in Irmo this morning or across this nation, it ought to be the same Jesus, the same gospel, the same faith, the same Lord, the same resurrection, the same baptism. That gets me fired up. I don't have a lot of good things to say about Starbucks this morning, but one thing I'll say positive on their behalf is that no matter where you go, if you order a white chocolate mocha, It's probably going to taste the same no matter where you go. Starbucks has their their recipe consistent no matter where you go. It ought to be, shame on our churches, because it ought to be like that. Our churches ought to be like Starbucks. We ought to be able to go into any church and our spirit resonate, oh, it tastes the same here. But unfortunately, we walk into other churches on vacation or whatever, and it's like, do I even belong here? I feel like an outcast. What are they singing? What are they doing? What are they talking about? It ought to be the same. Unity takes guts because our churches, we've got to learn to lay down our preferences. We've got to learn to lay down our structural um, stuff that we hold so dear. And we've got to realize, listen, if we're going to be unified, if we're going to have this immeasurable more power, then we've got to stick to Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. There's incredible power in that message. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. If that's the message, there's a lot of power there, but it takes guts just to stick to that. Takes a lot of guts, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of repentance. So that's the description of the unity. One body, context is the kingdom. One spirit, we all bear witness of the same spirit. Yeah, you can receive a word, but if it ain't in this word, it ain't in my word, it ain't a word. Do you know what I mean? We gotta be careful about that. One spirit, one hope. That means the resurrection of Jesus. That's our confidence of eternal life. One Lord, our savior, Jesus Christ. One faith. There's only one gospel message that saves. One baptism, believer's baptism or baptism into Jesus Christ. One God manifested into three equal persons. There's a lot of power in one. There's a lot of power in oneness. We got to stick to that message. Number two, not only does the calling of unity take guts, the equipping for this unity is a gift. Wow, I'm thankful for that this morning. God placed us right in the middle of a battle. Defending unity is a fight. It's not natural. It goes against our human flesh. But Jesus didn't stick us in this battle like, all right, y'all have fun. Work it out. You know, he could have done that. He's like, I'm sitting by the right hand of of God right now. I got a lot of heavenly stuff going on. I'm now resurrected. I'm glorified. I'm just doing my Jesus God stuff right now. But no, he says, I'm going to leave you with a gift. I'm going to impart on your behalf a special gift, a grace, the Bible calls it, that's going to equip you to maintain this unity. We're not left alone. Look at the verses. This is where it gets fun. If you're a theology person, I hope that you're able to just to eat this up. This is lunch right here. But, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, those are the Old Testament saints, and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting Psalm 68, and in the Hebrew, it reads like this. It reads, thou hast received gifts to distribute among men. So we're able to put two and two together here, and we realize that when Jesus died, remember those three days he was in the tomb? well, he wasn't just laying there. He was busy. The Bible says all over scripture, and I'll give you some cross references. If you want to do a little Bible study this week, Acts 2, 22 to 32, Luke chapter 16, Hebrews 11, Isaiah 61, one and two, Luke chapter four, verse 18, Matthew chapter 27, 52 and 53, first Peter three nineteen. I know. Come talk to me after the service. I'll review those for you if you want to write them all down. But specifically, 1 Peter 3 talks about while Jesus was in the tomb, he had a special calling from God the Father to go down and preach the gospel to the imprisoned spirits. Now, that means Hades. That's the Bible word. So, Hades is not all bad. We think of Hades and we we think hell, but not in Old Testament times. It was divided into two. There was a holding compartment for the imprisoned demons from Genesis chapter six, when the sons of God came down and had relations with the daughters of men. That's already crazy. You can go read about it on your own Genesis chapter six. So there's demons that are held in Hades because they fell from heaven and that's where they were imprisoned to. But the other side of Hades is called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 16. And that's where, remember the rich man and the beggar, the rich man was in the the lake of fire and the beggar was in Abraham's bosom and they couldn't touch each other. There was a vast um, chasm between them. So when Jesus was in the grave, he came down. Isaiah 61 says he preached the gospel to those imprisoned spirits. But not only that, he raised the Old Testament saints back to life. Those souls, their souls were living. But you understand that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they couldn't go to heaven yet because they were living under the Old Testament sacrificial system and the blood of bulls and goats will not atone. So although they looked forward to a coming Messiah, they couldn't be resurrected until he came. So when Jesus rose from the grave, he brought those Old Testament saints and by faith in a coming Messiah, they were raised. Now the passage going back to Psalms says that he gathered, while he was down there, he gathered gifts to distribute to men. Now, if you put all that together, this is purely conjecture. This is what I have come to understand from scripture. You don't have to believe it. Remember one spirit. So your spirit's got to resonate with mine, but here we go. I believe that there might be a special anointing on each one of us displayed in our gifts from an Old Testament saint. Isn't that cool? That God would gather those saints up. He, the, the passage says he collected gifts in Psalm 68. And then as he ascended, he distributed them among men through the Holy Spirit. Remember, these are not your natural ability. This has nothing to do with your personality. These are not your natural giftings. No, this is a special graced gift. Gift that comes with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it could be a special Old Testament anointing on your life. It could be a gift from one of those Old Testament saints, and it could be that the anointing of Moses is on Crystal Beretta. I don't know that for sure. It's merely conjecture, but I think there's a lot of biblical evidence to back that up. That is empowering. To realize that, yeah, when the Holy Spirit came within me, he brought a gift. And not only is it a gift specially, uniquely crafted for me, it might have the blessing of an Old Testament saint on it. Hello. That's enough to make me charismatic. That's enough to make me do some laps, Andrea. That is really cool. So y'all eat that up for lunch. That is, that's for the theology people in the room. But now let's look at the description of these gifts. And what I love about this before we get started is unity does not mean uniformity. Don't you love that? We don't have to be the same. I can't be Nicole. Nicole's awesome. But guess what? Jim, God made Jim awesome in a different way. I can't be Tara. So unity in the body. Yeah, defending unity is a fight, but we've been given gifts to help each other win. And they're not all the same gifts. Look at them. Here we go unity does not mean uniformity. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Those are the five main gifting categories, five main gifting categories, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now I'm going to break it down for you and teach you a little bit about these words from commentators, from other passages in scripture. And I want to say this as a disclaimer, nowhere in the Bible does it say that these gifts have gone away. There's a lot of Bible teachers that said there's no more apostles and there's no more prophets says who, and who, who gets to say what's still around and what's not. My Bible says in Ephesians four, five main gifting categories, and they're still active today. This is way past the time when Jesus was alive. And so the commentators who say apostles are only people who have had, um, Walked That's one of the common interpretations that the apostles have gone because unless you are face-to-face with Jesus, that's what qualifies you as an apostle. Then why is Paul way down here writing about apostles when Jesus had way gone? That makes sense. So here we go. An apostle. These are foundational ambassadors gifted at beginning or pioneering God's work. That's an apostle. Think church planners, entrepreneurs, organization leaders foundational ambassadors. These are people who are uniquely gifted to get things started, to start something new, to pioneer God's kingdom work on earth. That's an apostle. Number two, a prophet. Are prophets still around, Jim? Yes, I do believe they are under this definition. Prophets are discerners, very important, and heralders of God's truth consistent with scripture. Can't go rogue. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, then you're not a prophet. Okay, so a discerner and a heralder of God's truth consistent with scripture, sometimes predictive in nature, but not always. Think of people who see things as black or white, right or wrong. We all know those people? Yeah, they get under our skin, don't they? Man, they can be a pain to deal with. They're just blunt. They're to the point. Sometimes they hurt your feelings, but you know it's true. You have people in your life like that? They might have the gift of being a prophet. They are a discerner or heralder of God's truth consistent with scripture. We need them. Just like we need the apostles to start things. We need those church planners. Guess what? We need the prophets too. They come along. They support the work. Why? They they call out, they discern the signs of our times and they say, right, wrong, truth, error, black, white. We need those people. You got to pray for those people, lift them up. Not only prophets, we have evangelists. Evangelists, you might be more familiar with this because we still call people evangelists. These are uniquely gifted communicators of the gospel. These are people emboldened to see souls saved. Think charismatic, mission-minded people. Man, you just can't help but love these people. You, you gravitate toward these people. Their personalities are charismatic. They love to see souls saved. They're, 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 they have a lot of passion for the gospel. Those are, um, those are the evangelists. And we've got the shepherds, or your version of the Bible might say pastor. Interchangeable words here. These are administratively gifted to oversee, manage, provide for, and protect a body or bodies of believers. We understand that one, right? We still call people pastors today. So we've got that shepherd or pastor, and then teachers. I love this one. Teachers are discipleship-minded individuals gifted at instructing, explaining, and applying biblical truths. Isn't that awesome that there's such a diversity of giftings within the body? Now, just like unity does not mean uniformity, diversity does not mean division. We've got to nail that down. Remember, we're defending the unity And yes, it's a fight, but we've all been given gifts to help each other win, and the payoff is worth it. So what's your gifting? You know what's cool is that I can take a two-week break and have some awesome guys come and fill this pulpit, and each one of them have different gifts. We had Jeremy Powers two weeks ago. He's right here on the second row he's an evangelist. That's his gifting. He's got the passionate, charismatic personality. He loves to see souls saved. He's a mission-minded person, and he tries to get everybody on board with him, doesn't he? That's an evangelist. That's the gift of evangelism. And then, not to be outdone, we had Dylan Salmons last week. And Dylan's different totally different than Jeremy Powers, but they're both defending the unity because what Dylan brings to the table that Jeremy does not have is the gift of teacher. He's a discipleship-minded person. He's equipped uniquely to teach the Word of God, to explain the Word of God, to apply biblical truths in a relevant way. Clinton Edwards also has this gift, teacher, discipleship-minded person. So You got to be able to recognize your gift. Look at this list. Study these definitions. What has God gifted you with? All of these can be men or women. There's no difference. Look at these gifts. And if you need help, come to one of us. We'd love, we might have an insight or two on what you're gifted at. Because here's what I know. If you're operating, if you're trying to operate in somebody else's gifting, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be worn out and you're going to feel like there's a lid on you that you cannot get past. You're trying to wear shoes that aren't meant for you. They don't fit. So you got to find your gift. And these gifts are given for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body. That's it. So defending unity is a fight. It takes guts, but we weren't left alone. Each one of us had been given gifts to help each other When And that's the part we're on now. These gifts were given. If you boil that language down, Paul's language is to equip the saints for ministry and to build up the body of Christ. That means two things, maturity and stability. Because if we keep reading, he kind of defines himself. He says, we want to develop into mature manhood. All the men and women get to be mature men. I don't know how it works. That's just the way it is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. So maturity and stability, those are the purposes for God giving you these gifts. Now, what does that mean? Children are impressionable, right? You know, you have somebody, don't raise your hand. (laughs) That could be dangerous. Do you have somebody in your life that's always on to the next new thing? Every week, it's a new interest. Every week, it's a new doubt, a new fear, a new question. Children are impressionable. Mature believers should not be. Did you know that? As a mature believer, you shouldn't be on to the next new thing all the time. That's a sign of immaturity. Your gift was given, number one, to lead yourself. That's maturity. Number two, it was given for stability. In other words, you now have a responsibility. Once you discover your gifting And once you lead yourself with it, you're now responsible to look out for each other and pull each other up and to help each other win because we need each other because unity does not mean uniformity and neither does diversity mean division. This diversity and this unity were given to complement each other, to mature ourselves into the head, which is Christ the head of the body. Now, This is all amazing and we love it. But number three is the best one. It's my favorite. I wanted to get here. And that is number three. The culmination of unity is growth. Paul subliminally, he sneaks in the formula for church growth right here in Ephesians 4. And we didn't even know it until we read it. He tells us what's up. The culmination of this unity is growth. Let's look at 13 through 16 again. He says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, we're going to skip down to verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into every way into Him who is head. Then we jump down to verse 16, from whom the whole body joined together, held together, when each part. Now we pause there because He's given us three parts. He's given us, He's told us our calling is unity. And then He says, You want to speak the truth that oneness that he described in verses four through six, that oneness, that's the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that gospel message that saves. And then he says, you got to speak the truth in love. So the three parts that he's talking about when they work properly together are unity, truth, and love. That's the formula for church growth because we know that because in verse 16, it says when each part is working properly, it makes the body what? What? Grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that. That's that's the formula for church growth. And Paul just sneaks it in here. He says, like, It's only three things. Don't get it complicated. It's unity. And what's unity without truth? You can be unified around the wrong thing and get nowhere. So you gotta be unified around the truth, the truth of Jesus, and what's the truth of Jesus without love if we don't communicate it with love? Because we could all be unified, right? And we could all have truth and we could go out and and, and, and shake our Bibles and people's faces and be rude and ugly about Jesus. And that doesn't accomplish anything either. That's not going to help us grow. So it's got to be unity. Unity is nothing without truth. Truth is nothing without love. And then it circles back. What's love without unity? Doesn't make any sense, right? So the formula for church growth is unity, truth, and love. And he says, when those three parts are combined, the body will grow immeasurably more, right? Right? Because that's the, uh, that's the multiplying factor that we're dealing with. We had immeasurably more week one than meets the eye. We talked about God's plan to reveal the church. And then last week we had immeasurably more than you can believe. That's, that's the power. That's our disposal through Christ. And now today we have immeasurably more growth. Yeah, that's where we are. Does that get you fired up? Because, I mean, we're in a growing season at Decided Church, so this is super relevant for us. We've got a building project on the way. We've got seven acres. And so I get fired up when Paul, right here in this passage, he's like, oh, by the way, Decided Church, here's the formula for church growth, unity, truth, love. And if you put them together, you won't be able to help it, and you won't be able to contain it. Isn't that awesome, Brandon? It gets me fired up. And here's what's so special about that. I believe we have those three ingredients in this body, this local body. Think about it. Unity. We just, we talk all the time about our family atmosphere. I heard it five times today from people who don't even call this church their home, man. I love the family atmosphere. at Decide. every time we come down, I love the family atmosphere. That's unity. And do we have the truth? I mean, I sure hope we do. We preach this book and nothing but this book and we love each other in this body. We, we bear up each other. We support each other. We, we call each other. We check on each other. When, when Ellie breaks her arm, Dylan's calling um, Alan late, late last night, checking on Ellie's arm. We love each other in this body, unity, truth, and love. What do you think is going to happen? Immeasurably more. Immeasurably more growth. The thing about it is, is how do we know we're ready to grow? How do we, how do we check on ourselves? How do we know that we're prepared for the growth, the immeasurably more growth that the Bible says is going to happen? It all funnels back to this bottom line. It all funnels back to the bottom line, which says this. I'll read it because it's going to come up in Jesus name, but I'll read it on from an notes, which is just as good. How do we, how can we tell if we're ready? The bottom line is this defending unity is a fight. If you're ready to grow, that means you're ready to fight. But we've been given gifts to help each other win. And the payoff is worth it. That payoff is not only growth in numbers. It doesn't just mean a third service. That growth also means deepness, maturity, discipleship kind of growth, right? So we're growing wider and we're growing deeper all at the same time. That's called immeasurably more when you can't measure it because it's going in two directions at the same time that's that's some crazy math stuff i don't know how to do i never took calculus just i don't know how i didn't need to but it didn't happen but geometry was my thing Love geometry okay so our calling is unity from immeasurably more that meets the eye to immeasurably more than we can believe to immeasurably more growth bottom line this is what i want you to write down and take away defending unity takes guts. Defending unity is a fight, but we've been given gifts to help each other win in the payoff. That immeasurably more growth, that's worth it. That makes it all worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful this morning for the unity that we have with you, with you, with, with God, our Father, through your Son. And before we can ever talk about Ephesians 4, before we can ever talk about unity within the body, we've got to first recognize whether we're unified with God or not. Do we have unity with God? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Do you know today, if you were to die today, are you unified with God? If you were to die today, where would you go? Do you have unity with God? It's so important. That's the foundation for talking about this church unity. We don't get to that step until we first recognize in our heart, man, am I going to heaven or hell? Am I, am I, do I have unity with God? And I know it's, it's a tough question to ask. And the only reason that we're here, I want you to know if you, if you're asking that question today, each one of us in this room have done that. We're all broken sinners. We're all lost without Jesus. We were all at a certain point in our lives desperately needing him to come in and save the day. So I don't know how you came in this room this morning, but there was a time where I came in lost, but the Bible says you can leave found. There was a time where I came in a prodigal, but the Bible says today you can leave an heir. There was a time when we came in broken, but the Bible says you can leave this morning whole. Do you want unity with God this morning? You can have it. It's a free gift. Just say something like this in your heart. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you, but I believe that Jesus, the perfect son of God, came to die on the cross for my sin he was buried did a bunch of stuff and then rose again the third day i'm trusting jesus right now today to take me to heaven come into my life make me brand new With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning to receive Jesus, I can tell you based on the authority of God's word, he came into your life, he saved you, he gave you eternal life, you have a home in heaven, you're sealed forever, you're an heir, you're whole, you're found, never to be lost again, there's nothing you can do to get kicked out of God's family, you're just in it. And if that was you, would you just slip up your hand and say, I prayed to receive Jesus this morning. No one's looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you. I see your hand. Anybody else say, I prayed that prayer. Pray with me. I just want to let you know that I prayed to receive Jesus. If you raised your hand, would you do me a favor? Go to the back. Pray with somebody who's got a yellow lanyard on. They're not going to call you out. They're not going to beat you over the head with their Bible. They just simply want to pray with you and encourage you. So you go find one. Pray with them. And church, unity is a fight. It takes guts. It doesn't come naturally because of this thing we deal with called our flesh, our sinful nature. And we got to die to it every day to protect the unity. But what freedom means to America on July 4th, unity ought to mean to the church every day. Do you have what it takes? Maybe you need a moment of repentance now because you haven't been receiving feedback the way you ought to. Maybe you need a moment of repentance because you've been keeping a grudge that you ought to really share with somebody and get it off your chest. Unity takes work. It's intentional. Man, it takes takes communication. Man, it takes sacrifice. We got to be those kinds of people to protect unity. It takes guts. And then do you ha- have you found your gifting? That's so important. It's so foundational for how you operate in the body is knowing what, you're, what you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And man, I pray that if you don't know that, that you'll study the five basic giftings and you'll figure out where you fit in. If you need help with it, go pray with somebody right now. Come find me. Text me this week. Let's set up a meeting. We'll talk. I'll help you figure it out. And then last but not least, man, are we ready to grow or what? If we've got unity and if we've got the truth and if we've got love, we're positioned to grow and that growth is going to be immeasurable. So let's prepare ourselves. Let's get ready for it. We're talking about a full building on the first service on our new land. We're talking about a third service before we ever get out of here. We're talking about immeasurably more growth. I hope you're ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to go and grow. We've come and we've seen. Now our job is to go and tell. Jesus, thank you for this church and the unity that you provide with God through your son. We love you for it. Thank you for a nation and a country where we can gather freely and we can still preach your word boldly. We thank you for that and we pray that you'll protect it. In Jesus' name, amen.